I'm Austin Cleon, and you're listening to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast. Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glenn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hello and welcome back to the show. It's He Shoots, He Draws. I'm Dave Clayton, the other fellas, Glenn. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. You all right? I know, I'm, I'm good. It's it's really funny, like, you feel obliged to ask each other how you're doing. And, Even and though we've, we've actually ju- just finished talking for an hour and a half. I know. It's just, <laughs> it's just like we're introducing ourselves to, to our listeners. Yes. So, um, yeah, here we are. We've got another interview week. Um, now, this one is it's a little bit special for us because... We've been wanting this guest on for quite some time and it was and I kind of threw caution to the wind when I went out and thought, throw it out there and see if it comes back. So yeah. I put an email out and it, it eventually found its way to the right person at the beginning of the chain and it worked its way through till eventually I got speaking to this lovely lady called Claire, uh, who's based in the UK, who's the agent for the publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, now this person's very influential and kind of got Glyn in a place, uh, which is why I really wanted to get this guest. So, Glyn, just explain who it is yep. and and what the relevance is to you. Okay, so this is uh, author, speaker, Austin Cleon. Um, and for the, anybody who's actually ever seen me doing a talk or read my blog or doing videos and stuff like that, then at some point they will have heard me mention Austin Cleon because he had a massive influence on me. And we talked about this during the interview, but basically when I kind of was first starting out and didn't have a clue really which direction I wanted to go with my photography. I didn't know. I was trying everything and anything. I then started to look at other people's work and would kind of try to copy it in no sort of, you know, plainer terms than that, really. I'd take bits from it to try and make my own stuff. And every time I said it, that I, that's what I did. People would take a sharp intake of breath and go, oh, no, you can't do that. Not in the photography world. You've got to be completely unique and, you know, have your own voice. But I was always thinking, well, surely you've got to have a starting point. And it was then that I actually found, I don't even know how I found it, but I might have just been browsing. And I came across the, Austin's book called Steal Like an Artist. And in that book there, he kind of goes on to basically say the reasons why actually copying, for want of a better word, is the way to go and that is what help you get your style and kind of help you to kind of I don't know put your head above everybody else because you'll get a recognized for for being a certain way with your photos or your editing or your design or whatever so had a massive influence on me so much so that my second book I actually stole an idea from his title and called it Photograph Like a Thief. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, although it says like the cover and he'll explain about the whole process of the book and why he called it what it what it was, because it was a new, it ended up being a New York Times bestseller, it is 140 pages explaining it's brilliant. what still like an artist is. And like it says in the interview, a lot of people see the still yeah. and forget to do the like an artist. So... It, and it's not like a storybook. It's actually one of those great little books that you can pick up. You can just basically go, flick through. Yeah. Okay. Make friends, ignore enemies, and you can read a small piece. There'll be a couple of sayings. He quotes people. But I got this book soon after you recommended it, and then obviously he had a second one which was called Show Your Work, and and we're talking to him now as he's about to release uh, Keep Going, which is out in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, such a nice guy i mean i've been watching yeah. a lot of his uh interviews online and he's just so laid back he's not even like you know not to upset anybody but there are some people out there who are kind of like gary v people yeah who very aggressively 
put their information out there or you know even like tony robbins the kind of inspirational speakers that are their message is very forceful and they keep kind of you know ramming it down your throat mm. whereas austin's feels more like a cathartic thing like he wanted to get this out somewhere and a book was the platform for him yeah there's none of this kind of hey if you want to be successful you know you can sleep when you're dead there's none of that kind of stuff it's just very practical kind of stuff that i find whenever i refer back to the books uh and just so just so people know we don't get any kickback for mentioning these books these are books that we both we both read and they have had a massive influence on us because they're very quick and easy to read but it's just it's just stuff you think god yeah that is so right or that is really useful like still like an artist gave me that rubber stamp to to say it's okay to copy or take bits show your work was like how how did he know all this stuff these ideas to help promote you because one of the messages i love one of the messages i love in that book there is that we and we've talked about this a bit before dave is how people there seems to be this thing I don't know if it's just in our in the, in the photography industry or what, but mm. this thing about being famous, whatever fame is, yeah. and you know, there's people out there trying to conquer the world. When two doors down from where they live, people never got a clue what they do. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to conquer the world before people in their street know what they do. Do you know what I mean? It's just a, it's just absolutely brilliant book. So we've kind of been lucky enough to get hold of advanced copies from the publishers, uh, workmen, copies of Keep Going, and again, it's just one of those. Again, he's nailed it, and I love it. And I love the fact that he explained it. I kind of, I really enjoyed the interview, Dave, but I almost didn't want to be part of it. I wanted to just listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean, because it was like, oh, I had a million, you know, I've got three sheets of paper here with probably 50 questions of just different things about it. But he kind of answered a lot of them as he went mm, along. And, yeah. and if you get a chance, obviously listen to listen to this episode, but go onto his website, uh, austincleon.com, and go to his uh, about section in his blog. And he's got some content there where other interviews he's done. He's done a video with Chase Jarvis. Uh, he's done yeah. a couple of other lights. Uh, they've filmed him speaking on stage. Watch them because, you know, we've got like 45, 50 minutes with him. Um, but he talks more in depth about the process of the books and how it's changed his life. And I think it will it will supplement what we're giving you. Um, to find out more about him because he is just genuinely a nice fellow and he's a family man he's got two kids he works from yeah. home he's, he's you know, a he... proper nice fellow but really knows his stuff because I mean even when you just refer to his you know his website here you look at some of the companies that he's you know done talks for it says here he speaks about creativity in the digital age for organizations such as Pixar Google TEDx the economist he really knows his stuff doesn't he yeah absolutely and and seems pretty grounded with it I've seen people who know a lot less who act you know who act way <laughs> yeah. bigger than they deserve and you know t- tonight we were both quite nervous to be fair we were kind of yeah yeah Austin was probably the first guest we've had that we've had no connection with before we have no mutual friends it's just really been a you know i, th- I hoped that we could get austin on but mate, all you know, credit to you busy. mate for just kind of just if you don't ask you don't get and you asked and we got and it's just yeah. fair play to you mate brilliant and there's there's a way of asking there's a way of being respectful and nice and you know mm-hmm. we said we didn't want to keep him too long but um i was really excited about it and you know we've to get him to get it nailed in and fixed we were a little bit cautious about saying we had him i didn't want anyone else to take him away mm-hmm. um but i really enjoyed it and i hope everyone else does and, and he uh, wasn't that he was on he was he was he was unwell he, he was unwell nasty yeah. cough and yeah so uh i hope you can edit some of that out but i wouldn't <laughs> worry if you can't <laughs> it adds flavor but no we're 
yeah, he was such a good guest, and we he, he could have cancelled because he really wasn't feeling too well. But we appreciate that he's put mm-hmm. the time in. So please listen to the interview. Go on the website. We'll put some links up for his books. I mean, these new books on Amazon. Um, it's something like six pounds seventy prime. Get it on Amazon. Just get it. Get you know, it. forget brilliant. the next coffee you buy. Buy this book, order yeah. it, and um, just enjoy it. You know, go and get his back catalogue. So, uh, Glenn, let's yeah. do the honours. It's a great one. Let's go for it with Austin. Who are you? I like to call myself a writer who draws. Um, I make books with pictures and art with words. Um, <laughs> what that really means is that I'm the author of several books. I uh, My first book was called New- Newspaper Blackout, which was a series of newspaper articles I redacted into poetry. It sort of looks like if the CIA did haiku. <laughs> um, so that's a poetry book. And then I just finished up a trilogy of books that are sort of about how to be more creative in the digital age. And the first one of those is the one that usually people recognize if they do recognize them. That one's called Steal Like an Artist. And the second one is called uh, Show Your Work. And that's a book about self-promotion for people who hate self-promotion. And the third book in the trilogy is the one that's coming out now, and it's called Keep Going. And that's a book about how to stay creative in the long run uh, in good times and bad times. And so what I do is I I write these books, I have a blog, I have a newsletter, and then I do a lot of speaking and somehow cobble together a living out of all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, it was, it was, I think, Dave, what is it fair to say that it was me that became aware of Austin before you or what? Because of the book. I can't remember the way it was yeah, way it was, around it, this was. It was you. It was you. Um, we kind of heard the phrase still like an artist quite early on. Obviously, when the book came around, it was like 2012. Um, but yeah, it was Glenn that kind of focused on it and said, oh man, you've got to read this book. So I'll let you get do your yeah, introductory to Yeah, it was... Um, this is, yeah, let's kind of get this bit out of the way because I know that we want to talk about the, the, the sort of the new book. But this was what drew me to you, first of all. And I guess you've spoken about this many, many times, Austin. But this here, to me, was almost like a rubber stamp that said, it's actually all right to go out there and copy, if you like, sure. because you can't really copy because we're all different, but at least get inspiration ideas from somebody else. Uh, my second book... If you look at the title there, I know it's kind of back to front as I do that. There Photograph like a thief was kind of stolen from your <laughs> <laughs> from your your book title, and there's a dedication there for you. But all I want to all I want to ask you is because for for ages when I was doing my starting out in my photography, I was always telling people um, that I I I actually do go out there. I research people's work that I love. People like Annie Leibovitz and uh, Mark Seliger, and I take bits from them to make my own pictures. That's the kind of thing right. that I do. And I was always getting, and because it, because I'm a photographer, I'm talking about the photography industry, whenever I said this, there would always be a sharp intake of breath, and it's like, oh, no, you can't possibly do that. You, you, you've got to be completely original. It's got to be your own kind of stuff. But when you did this book, it was almost like a rubber stamp saying it's okay. So me and Dave were talking about, we said, how can I say this to Austin? How can I actually say this without sounding wrong? But what made you be the person that said, it's all right to do that? It's all right to copy. Where did that come from? Well, I like to tell people that I use the term steal because I'm not very original. 
<laughs> I mean, one one of the reasons Steel Like an Artist exists is because I just kept noticing how many of my kind of predecessors used the word steel. I mean, and there's just this like really long list of, you know, you've got Picasso saying things like artist theft and you have, you know, someone asked David Bowie if he's original and he says, no, 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 I'm more like a tasteful thief. <laughs> you know, you've just got this long, you know, I, that, that's really the genesis of the book was just kind of, I'm a collector, you know, like I, I collect a lot of quotes and I collect a lot of, you know, different inspirations. And, and one of the things I just kept noticing was how much people use that term steal. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the title steal like an artist came simply because, I just needed a name for a talk and I just thought it was, would be a good title for a talk. Um, But I think this idea is actually a very ancient idea that sort of like, we're just at the tail end of a period in which originality was really, you know, the idea of being a kind of romantic genius, original person. I think we're kind of like, uh, that's like a fallout from the romantic period and we're just yeah. getting kind of to the end of it now mm-hmm. um if you look back in time well first of all photography is not very old so you can't yeah. <laughs> um but you know if you go back in time artists were not even considered to be very important people at all i mean art an artist would be more like an artisan you know it would like uh yeah. you would you would have a craft or a trade and, you know, originality was not really a big deal. Um, you know, you were just making the stained glass windows in a church nice or, so, you know, like yeah. something like that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I think our fetish for originality has, you know, I think it has its roots in the kind of romantics, that kind of movement. I also think it's an outgrowth of capitalism. You know, because simply the market wants, you know, if you can call something new and original, then you can sell it. Um, and but <laughs> Steel Like an Artist is is sort of not the the real. I the core at the idea of Steel Like an Artist is that you know you become more original by embracing more influence that yes yeah yeah, actually the way to be original is not to just like you know you're not like born original and you just keep working and keep yourself like kind of cordoned off so you're original like the the way to be original is to actually just embrace a huge amount of influence and a wide breadth of influence and then to take that and kind of mash it up into your own deal and i usually this is a process that happens sort of in the background you can't kind of help but do this but i kind of wanted to foreground it and and to make it like an intentional thing for people Mm -hmm. yeah because one of the things that i noticed particularly as a writer is you know when you're starting out there's just all these meat-headed young writers you meet that they want to be writers but they don't want to be readers you yeah. know, they're like, they don't know anything about the craft and they don't really know, they haven't read anything. And then they think you can write without reading, you know, in a very specific example. And so that was really where Still Like an Artist came from is just, and and a lot of it was from my own fumblings as a, as a young artist. Yeah. 
because you wrote that when you were what 28 29 yeah I, I mean you know i wrote the talk for steel like an artist in 2011 and i was born in uh yeah so i was probably i don't know 27 yeah when i wrote that book so you know it's a it's a book too that has the <laughs> audacity of youth yeah you know i mean it's it's very much a it's a book that thinks it's you know sometimes sometimes it takes someone who's younger to kind of throw things out there um yeah. you know i i couldn't write still like an artist now <laughs> you know there's yeah. just like there's too many gray areas and and too many i've thought about it too much now but it's that's why it's got power too it's 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 like a you know it's like a musician looking at a old record old album i think yeah. the phrase i heard today you say was uh a lady you asked the lady a question do you ever go back and read your own books and the phrase was that would be like a dog sniffing it so an old turd that's yeah that's mary carr she's great yeah mary carr has a way with words for sure yeah she says uh rereading her old books is literally that's what she says it's like a dog sniffing an old turd i don't i don't <laughs> i don't quite feel that way about still like an artist um but it is interesting to me how dead books become to you after you finish them. Um, yeah. I there. I always remind people that when you execute not something, whether it be a person or an idea, you know, there's a kind of death that happens because I think books, you know, I think people have this idea that books are like, you've got all this knowledge to impart and you put it in this book form so everyone else can have it. And I just don't think that's how books work. I think when you write a book, you figure out what you know and what you don't know. And, and, and every book is kind of a process of discovery. For one thing, you're trying to figure out what the book wants to be. And that's sort of its own exploration. And once you figure out what the book is, it's kind of dead to you. Like it's done. It's something you've done. You know, it's almost like a, like, you know, when you, you know, when you make a print of a picture and it's perfect, it's that's it. Then yeah, you know, and I go it's back on and to try next... and keep taking the same picture. Yeah, it's you know, and so that's 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 a tough thing with creative work though, because after we finish a product or a project, you know, there's a there's you know, if you're in advertising or something, then you have to pitch it. You know, or or if yeah. you're a if you're a writer. The minute the book's done is when the hard work of actually like birthing it out into the world begins, you know, yeah. or you finish a film and then you have to go on press junkets and talk about it with people. And that, you know, it's just part of the job. But yeah, um, I think what's fun is what's fun for me is I and people laugh when I say this, like I forget what's in the books. I mean, I, I they're new to me when I pick them up after a couple of years. So Oh, You'll be fun. like at Comic-Con where they'll be going, so Austin, on page 72, you said this, but on page 133, you said that. And it's like, I, I did. I, I can totally relate to that because as me as a, an educator in, in photography and Photoshop, my books, I've got two books that, that concentrate on the Photoshop side of things. And I am forever getting my own books off the shelf to remind myself <laughs> about a technique. Do you know <laughs> Well, and this brings up a good point. Like, I mean, you know, this is this new book is the first book I ever wrote for myself. Um, and, and people are like, what? But the other books I wrote for other people, 
like Steal Like an Artist was a book that I wrote because, you know, someone asked me to turn a talk into a book. But yeah, the the like the genesis for the talk was I was speaking to a a younger version of myself. Like it was what I wish I had known. And then Show Your Work was a book that happened because people kept asking me all these same questions. How do I get my stuff out there? How do I get published? How do I get famous, basically? You know, all that stuff. And this was the first book that I was like, I need this book to exist in the world so I can read it. And in some ways, it was my favorite book to write for that very reason, because it was something that I wanted to see exist. It wasn't, people weren't like, you know, I thought the world could use it, but people weren't like bugging me the whole time. Well, that's yeah. not completely true because I have an agent and a publisher. But <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it, it was really a personal book. It was a book that I want that I needed to read, and and I think about that a lot now with my work um, because I, particularly with writing, you know, so much of my writing life begins with reading, and there's just sort of this system now where it's like, well, if you you want to read something, and if you can't find it on the shelf, then you know, if you can find it on the shelf, great, read it. And if they didn't do a very good job, well, then maybe you should write it anyway. You know, mm. rewrite it. Yeah. My friend, uh, my friend John Unger says that like every piece of art he ever made was because he saw good and wanted to catch up, or he saw terrible and and thought he could do better. Yeah. And I like that. You know. Yeah, I get that. I'm like that with graphic design. You know, I, I'm forever judging everything. Yeah. But it's like, don't judge if you're not going to do anything about it. It's like the whole, don't give me a problem, give me a solution. But I, if I see something, I won't just criticise it for the sake of criticising it. I'll criticise it because I think I can improve it or add something to it. But there was one of the things you said. It's like, it doesn't matter if the work is necessarily good or it might be crap. It's the process of getting to that point of creating it. Yeah. It's just as interesting as the, the, the actual output. And the best way to criticize something is to make something, you know, yeah. is to, to show them, you know, is to do better yourself or to try yeah. to do something different. Was it was there always the intention with these three books? Because we've got the, the Still Like an Artist. This is pointless for people who are listening, but Still Like an Artist. We've got Show Your Work and the... I've got... Mm, we've, got the, hey, hey, we've got that copy there. Was it always, when you went for the Still Like an Artist, was there always that attitude of kind of, I know there's going to be three? Or was it a case of you did Still Like an Artist when you were... 31 we got I got down here 31 when you did show your work and you thought actually to finish this up it yeah. needs that third book no not at all I mean sh- you know Steal Like an Artist was first of all I had no idea that Steal Like an Artist was going to find the audience that it did I mean you know I, I we you know you always hope for that but you know I had no idea that Steal Like an Artist would 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 resonate the way that it did and has with people. Um, I, I look, just putting in there, Austin, I love with that book there because like, like I said, when I was kind of saying to people, you need to copy or look at other people's work to, to find your own style. I would always say that and people would kind of question me, but the minute I said, no, because I've got this book and this guy, Austin Cleon says, that's what you can do. <laughs> nobody ever questioned it ever again. <laughs> do you know people are, people are not very intelligent. And no, I think that's because, because <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, the book uh, said it's the book says you can do it, so it must right. be true. Oh well, it's in this book. I mean, some <laughs> Joker wrote. Um, no, I, I mean, you know, I, and I, it is a book 
Still Like an Artist is a book that I am fond of the saying, uh, a book is like a mirror. If an ass looks in, an ass looks out. <laughs> so uh, as much as I would hope that, that you know books can change people and give them new ideas, I mean, I, I do think that the only thing that worries me about Steel Like an Artist is just that people hear the steel part a lot and they don't hear yeah. the like an artist part. Like an artist, yeah. You know, when people come to me and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm like I read your book and then I like did this, you know, and they'll show me something that's like completely derivative of somebody and doesn't really add to the plot. I'm like, I don't feel like you understood the book <laughs> or read it. You know, you, you got the... You uh like the Beastie Boys say you know you you heard the style I think you missed the point you know yeah it's like that it's that kind of thing so um I I think that Steel Like an Artist it, that's the problem though with trying to teach or you know um write or or put things out in the world is that half of the battle is is with the person on the other end I mean you know yeah. the the reader you don't know completes, who's reading it. Yeah, the reader completes the experience. So I, I always think of books in terms of, you know, you can take a hundred different people and give them a book, and afterwards you have a hundred different books because mm-hmm. everybody reads a different book. They read the same book technically, but yeah. they all brought something different to it, and it began, you know. So, um, yeah, my thing with Still Like an Artist is I'm always just like, don't forget the like an artist part. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the most important. That's but, the big um, bit. But it's a validating book. I mean, it's a it's a book that. Uh, I mean, the point of Still Like an Artist was to get people to feel like they could join in and make yeah. stuff. Yeah. And you know, and some of my favorite art is is like that. It's that kind of punk rock spirit of, you know, jump in and do your own thing. And, and yeah, and I still, I still have a great fondness for the book for sure. Mm-hmm. We've we've just come back uh, yesterday. We Dave and myself have been at um, the NEC in Birmingham because it's had the the photography show. It's a huge event over four days, thirty thousand people, and our publishers were there, Rocky Nook. And uh, I was speaking to one of the guys there. They said that this woman had come past the the booth that they've got with with the, the book that I've got, which had the title "Photograph Like a Thief," uh-huh. and she walks up and she had a quick look through it clearly didn't quite get the kind of concept behind it like what you just said there was still like an artist and she gave the guy a card and said you might need this i'm a copyright lawyer oh right and then she just walked off it's like what drop the mic and run yeah i don't think you get the idea (laughs) yeah i mean you know copyright lawyers are tricky people i mean you know they make they make the you know lawyers make their living by trouble <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, causing trouble they can solve <laughs> right um there is a kind of ambulance cha- i mean you know your your profession in particular i mean photography is just so uh just rife with you know everyone's estate has some sort of attorney that's constantly you know uh out there sending cease and desists and and all that so yeah, it's a yeah. tricky thing i mean the thing that i the thing that I always counsel people about Steal Like an Artist is like it really has nothing to do with copyright. I mean, so much of the book is about what you do behind the scenes. You yeah, know, it's and a I'll, learning book. Yeah, and a lot of um, it's not the thing. And people ask me about copyright once in a while. And the thing that I always say about copyright is 
what's legal is not always right and what's right is not always legal mm. but, um you know i mean this is this is basic 101 of of life is is you know <laughs> um and so you know part of your craft or your job as an artist or a photographer or whatever is to understand some of the law and it's not a law book so you know yeah. um but that's something that you I always think, you know, that's something you worry about when you get to a point where that's a problem, you know, I mean, like with student work and stuff. I mean, so much of what you're trying to do is just find your own voice and kind of scratch out something of your own, you know. Yeah, uh, and that's what everyone does. We've been talking to people about, like, in people who follow a lot of inspirational speakers. It's some people have got a voice. They've got something in them. They just need that one thing that, like flicks that switch and gives them permission to do the thing yes. they, they, they've not been brave enough to do and like it could be this book it could be um you know a, a speaker or a, you know someone someone like that um one of the questions i've going back to the the first book is obviously you said you didn't think it, it would really come to much but you'd obviously done the, the talks how how much of how much of your life has changed because of the book like has the course of your life changed because of it or what what do you think you would have done had that book not been a success um yeah i mean i i i would be working a desk job i mean you know i'd be i i think that without steel like an artist i would do what i had planned on my whole life which was i would work in like an advertising agency or a design studio or you know whatever i could cobble together i i i figured yeah. i would have day jobs um all the way through cuz i i just knew that what i wanted to do was a long shot and i wanted to remain free i wanted to do it on my own terms like i didn't want to have to compromise i didn't want to have to compromise my work in order to be commercial and yeah. um so uh i just figured i'd have day jobs forever you know you have to remember i'm a you know i'm a lot of my heroes are like poets and you know poets never make any money and so i just figured yeah. you know, poets eyes. yeah poets and cartoonists <laughs> or whatever uh, but i just figured i'd always have good day jobs and and the the art and writing would be on the side what happened was still like an artist is my wife and i are incredibly frugal and we had saved up like a year's salary mm. basically and um i was at this advertising agency in austin and um it was up for sale actually so it was kind of a tumultuous time anyway and we didn't really know if we'd all have jobs at the end of the summer and i just asked for like two months off unpaid um so i could go on book tour and they just they were like eh, i don't really think that's gonna work and so i just quit um but my wife had health insurance, which is a big deal in the States. I mean, you know, mm. like. Cool, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, for, yeah, um, that's a whole other discussion. But um, <laughs> yeah, my wife had health insurance and we had savings. And so I just said, oh, I, who, who knows if I'm ever going to get to go on book tour again. And then at a certain point of the book tour, um, we heard that it was like a bestseller. And it, it was a book that kind of just like kept – going i mean it was just like it's kind of built and build and so still like an artist was like a book that let me quit my job and then 
show your work. I got enough money for show your work that like, I was like, oh, I could do this for a couple of years. as like a career. Like this could actually like be a living. And, and then, you know, and then it just kind of went on and I just became like my dream job, which was always author. I mean, you know, I always wanted to be someone who wrote books and went out and talked about them. Uh, but I just didn't think it would ever happen for me. Uh, but I always left the door open for it. You know, I mean, I, I think there's a difference between, you know, not expecting anything, but then always kind of having the door open mm. for things, you know. But it changed yeah. my life. You know, it's still like an artist changed my life forever. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, and I didn't believe people in the beginning. I mean, I, I had a, I had some colleagues who were writers who just said, you know, you'll eat off that book for a, for a decade. Yeah. And I, and I just didn't believe, I said, Oh yeah, I'm sure. And, and they were like, no, no, no. Like you'll eat off that book for a decade. And I thought that's crazy, but <laughs> you know, so far it's, it's done well. And, um, it, you know, it's just, uh, it's interesting cause it's just, um, yeah, it was just like one of those moments where your life changed, but that doesn't mean that there weren't still been a struggle to, you know, figure out what it is that you do still, you know, so it's not like I, oh, I retired to the Bahamas after that, you know, I mean, (laughs) still, you know, scraping together. I've written my opus. Yeah. that's it. Yeah. So, you know, um, but no, I mean, it changed my life and, and for the better. And, uh, the one weird thing about my books is that I've never known Steel Like an Artist is like maybe four or five months older than my oldest son. Yeah. So like I've really never known like this career without kids. So yeah. the kids like take any of the success in the career and they put it in check. <laughs> yeah tell me about you know, it i've got are... <laughs> i've got two young daughters and, and two two older sons but one thing i was gonna ask you because i know you've obviously got owen and jules yeah uh, your two kids is i know i know you spoke about like what your typical day was and you'd got a routine going where you like got up and you sat with your wife and you had breakfast and you meditated um and you had at the time of watching the interview with chase um, with Chase Jarvis, you'd mentioned that you give yourself like three hours a day, two till five o'clock to do your work. And yeah. ha- have you managed now you've had your second child? Because <laughs> yeah. I know I know how things change. <laughs> Even tonight yeah. has been like throwing people in different directions. Yeah. Um, have you been able to kind of keep your um, if you can just like go over your day, but because um, sure. other people wouldn't have heard it. But have you been able to maintain that now that obviously you've second book, third book, you're still doing the newspaper blackout? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, my wife and I don't have a lot of help with our kids, so we kind of do it all. You know, it's kind of all mm. us. Um, it's still the same basic format. I mean, I actually get up every day with my kids and like get them something to eat, whatever they'll eat. Kids yeah. won't eat anything. So, <laughs> um, and then I hang out with the kids for a while and maybe I'll read a little bit, you know, just try to keep them from making too much noise so my wife can sleep in a little bit. And then I make her breakfast sort of get her sorted out. And then I try to keep nine to five hours like a banker, basically. So about nine o'clock, I'll come upstairs. I will write in my journal, my diary, for like 
I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes. And then I'll write like a blog post for the day, um, usually. And then kind of have like free time until lunch to kind of like whatever I need to work on, I'll work on. And then um, we'll have lunch, we'll get my oldest on the school bus, and then we'll take a walk. Um, and then we come back, and then I just work all afternoon until dinner. And occasionally, if the day's light, I'll give my wife a break, um, and I'll watch the kids. But then about 5 o'clock, like, I hang it up. Um, and then I spend the evening, like, drinking whiskey and watching TV or reading or, you know, whatever <laughs> it is that I, I, you know, I waste a bunch of time at night. Cause... So you never have that pressure of sitting there at home thinking shit i need to keep thinking of more sage information for oh. book number four <laughs> yeah no i mean uh, so the thing i mean keep going has taken a while i mean show your work came out in 2014 so keep going's taken me almost five years but uh you know i had kids in the middle so it was um but the way i work now is i really don't worry about big ideas anymore like basically how i work is i just do a little bit every day and eventually the pieces kind of like add up to something after a while. So I have this very like repetitive daily practice type thing where you just like a little bit of work every day adds up to something bigger later. And um, a big part of trying to get this book done and to kind of think about my career and a longer term was – I kind of came to this point a couple of years ago where I was like, I'm going to need a system for continuing because I just need some sort of process for making work and accumulating work. And for me, that's been this very like day by day process of just writing every day, a little bit, a little on the blog, you couple, you know, you take you, you blog every day and then you take those blog posts and they become talks and then hopefully they become books, you know. So it's this very like just kind of bits and pieces over time thing and I I that's the only way I could really think about continuing like indefinitely yeah, so cuz so yeah. keep going then. You've written this book for yourself. Yeah. What's this now? Is this third um, in the tri- in the chair? Tri- uh, whenever I say anything about trilogy, it's always like that whole Star Wars thing. Oh yeah, of, uh, of yeah, like no. which is gonna. But so now you got this third, but you've written it for yourself. Um, for those who are listening that may have the first or second, or can go out and buy them, what's why is this book different in that respect that you've written it for you? What did you need to add? Well, I mean, particularly, I mean. I think two things were going on when I was, when keep going was kind of born. It was like the world just seems like it's on fire. I mean, every day you wake up and you feel like the climate's gotten dumber and, you know, meaner and hotter, um, like the real climate. And, uh, and so there's that. There's this kind of constant hum of social media and the news and all these media companies now are manipulating us to constantly think 24-7 about stuff that, you know, is distracting. And so our attention's scattered and our hearts are sunk about just kind of everything that's going on in the world. It's just a very distracting time. And then on the other 
side of it, I think that a lot of creative professionals and, and amateurs for that matter are starting to realize that this, this is, this is rough work. Like this is a rough gig and like, it's a, you got to really be in it for the right reasons and you really have to be in it for the long haul. Um, and so those kinds of two things together, like the timely and the timeless, because like, you know, really the greats were had a sense of time that was way bigger than the now. Yeah. Um, and so those two things like together for me, just hitting the um, just the particularly in the States, just the political climate, the kind of constant just buzz of social media and the distraction mm. everyone's phone is just like driving them nuts and um people are just like losing their minds and so that mixed with my kind of mid-career like am i going to do this forever like is this really a thing that i could do indefinitely those two things together came you know they that's where keep going came from but i you know it's it's really the thing about creative work that I just find so fascinating is it just doesn't matter what you've done or what you've achieved. The first thing anyone will ask you is, so what's next? What are you going to yeah. do next? I mean, you, you could just have won the Oscar for Best Picture. And so what are you going to do now? It's the it's the eternal question for as long as yeah. you get. That's the question. So I wanted to write a book about how to have that question always answered. And there's some interesting titles in the book as uh, chapters in the book. So I was going through it earlier, and obviously we got a copy because your agent uh, sent one through, so we'll be able to have a quick read. And and I was I'll just read the chapter titles. There. We don't have to go through all of them, but it was just every single one of them made me think. I need to know what this means. So we've got, um, apart from, I wrote this book because I need to read it. We've got Every Day is Groundhog Day, Build a Bliss Station, which I do, I like that one. I know what that's about. We'll go back to that. Uh, Forget the noun, do the verb, make gifts. The Ordinary plus Extra Attention equals the Extraordinary. Slay the Art Monsters. Another one I like was You Are Allowed to Change Your Mind which is something people suffer massively from. Uh, When in doubt, tidy up, or as I like to call it, procrastinating. Yes. (laughs) Um, Demons hate fresh air and plant your garden. So going going back to the the beginning, um, every day is Groundhog Day. I think my interpretation of that when I saw it was that's kind of going nowhere, but not going nowhere because like in the film, on day one, he is he's phil no yeah it's phil isn't it yeah yeah but by i think someone calculated how many days he'd needed (laughs) to be in that loop to learn all the things he did but by the end of it even though it's the same day he was so much more creative he could play the piano and poetry and so yeah just an overview is that was that i needed yeah i mean i i needed something Groundhog Day to me is like the great parable of our time. And it's a movie. It's about 25. It's 25 years old now. Um, and it it is a movie that when Harold Ramis, the director, was still alive, um, other like he he joked about how many religions would claim it as their own, you know, because he get like emails from 
you know, you get letters from like priests, and then you get a letter from a a, a Buddhist monk, you know, and then you get a letter from a rabbi. You know, and they all say, like, your movie perfectly explains my religion, basically. Like, it's it's exactly what we try to preach or, you know, whatever. Um, and I, But I just feel like it has particular rev- relevance for creative work because I just personally feel like Sisyphus or Phil Connors when I work. I mean, I just – every book um, – there's a writer named uh, – there was a writer named David Rakoff, and he used to say that, like – writing never gets any easier. He said it was always like making a meal out of rotten ingredients. You know, that you start out with this just, (laughs) you know, he he just had this really bleak thing where he felt like every book you were starting over in a sense, that every book was different and everyone you had to kind of like relearn how to write it. And I think that's just so true. I mean, sure, we build up muscles and we build up craft in order to deal with it, but you know, every day is kind of this blank page that we have to fill with our efforts, you know, and I just felt like Groundhog Day was a great, uh, a great place to get people to stop worrying so much because eventually the book, at the end of the book with the plant your garden chapter, uh, we talk about seasons and how creativity is like a, a creative life. There's ups and downs and some people blossom early and some people blossom late. So the book, it was kind of like I needed something so people could think small before they could think big, you know. So mm-hmm. I started with every day as Groundhog Day. Um, but I just think every artist, if you can think of yourself as, you know, if you can think of yourself more like Phil Connors and less like Don Draper, <laughs> you know, you kinda, <laughs> that'll, that'll like reorient you where you need to be because it really is like every time you, it's like a new, it's a new day every day. Do you know what I've just I've just got, I've got the book here and I literally just opened it up and the very first page I come to is so relevant for us, David. It's page one three eight and it's just loads of it repeating itself, saying, "I will not argue with strangers on the internet." <laughs> it's just a, a page full of it. Austin, if you knew how many episodes we've talked about that, my god, yeah. It's a universal problem now. Everybody's fighting with people they don't know and will never know and will mean nothing to them ever. I mean, this is what we're sucked into. I mean, in the background of the book, um, in some ways this book is a corrective to show your work in a little bit because show your work, uh, I still strongly believe in the core message of show your work, which is by sharing your process, by sharing the way that you work with people, they are more interested in your work and they see more value in it and it bridges the um it 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 brings you closer to the people you're trying to reach um that is essentially what i believe and i i that was what i was trying to do in that book that book is more optimistic about social media than i would be now i mean it's 5 years old of course, and I, yeah. and you know i feel like what is you know what we're you know what we're dealing with now is kind of a different beast and the background of keep going i think is a, is a skepticism about about you know tech companies and and social media and just that i think we all know now that we're being manipulated in ways that are yeah. uh unholy basically <laughs> i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. and and, and Un- and not conducive to the type of work that and the type of 
mind patterns that creative people need you know because yeah. the the machines now they they need us to they they need us to be clicking all the time in order to make their revenue and you know so it's just a very uh it's a tricky time we are this like distractively influenced by it as well because i know what you're saying is we we want to be creative but we're bombarded with all this kind of um distraction yeah. all the time but it also influences how we are and how we feel and how we speak and like you say you know go back to still like an artist 2012 the internet was a different place the political landscape was a different place then yeah. you say 2014 and now and something glenn and i've spoken about um about with the sharing thing is we were saying in our industry like i'm a designer glenn's a, a photographer which is what he shoots he draws um that back in the day like now people were scared to share Everyone was so kind of, I can't share my technique, I can't share my secrets, I can't share this because I'll, I'll lose all my work. People, people right. will take what I'm doing back to, which, which is kind of weird because we're saying like copy to improve or be inspired. Right. Now it just feels like the internet is a competition of uh, who can give away all yeah. their everything, their dinner, their yeah. bowel movements, the <laughs> it's lot. It's like an avalanche, <laughs> yeah, of, of yeah. oversharing. <laughs> I think that's one of the. That's the problem with writing books now is is trying to keep up with the world is is you know that's I tried so hard and show your work to be agnostic about platforms and I you know I I try I I I tried so hard to to emphasize that like it's not about what site you're on or where you choose to hang out it's just the practice but you know I just didn't anticipate a lot of the things that we're dealing with now and I think that's why um, I think that's why I keep going as a book that really doesn't um it doesn't talk a whole lot about online it 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 yeah, it, yeah. it really focuses on kind of like your own kind of way of being in the world. It's it's not really about how you operate online because it's it's trying to I was trying to go somewhere more, a little bit more timeless with this book. So is this book going to become a talk where the original one a talk became the book is this book obviously going on tour you're going to be promoting it will this become another talk um you know it started as a talk i mean it was i gave the talk one time uh in in san francisco and i i had kind of these guys had asked me to come to this uh conference this new conference called bond and um i said i will do it but you have to give me the last slot <laughs> you know so it was it was you know the talk was was made to be this kind of like mic drop kind of yeah thing and um it's a good question now as to whether i i don't feel the same fire as when i gave the original talk and i don't know how i'm gonna like replicate that but i think um usually when i'm on the road I like to talk less about what's in the book and more of like what was around the book, like what led to the book and, and, you know, the kind of behind the scenes stuff that I can kind of give people while still kind of cluing them into what the book is about and that, that kind of thing. Um, I, I, my big hope for this book is that it's not just creative people who read it. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to snag some, you know, people who are just in the working world and feeling kind of run run down because I think a lot of the messages in the book um, will resonate for people of all professions. Yeah, and I think your name's out there now. You have kind of become a 
if there's a book coming out with your name on people are gonna people are gonna buy it because they know it's good it's gonna be good it's just whether it's gonna resonate but if they know you from the first two this third one i think people will just go for it because it I feels so. like i, I like it because so. you can just you can, right. just you can just dive in and you just see something once you've read it once it's like yeah. the, the first two books there that they appeal to me even more because of the size of them. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, yeah. oh, my Lord. But you can literally read it once, and then it's, it's almost like a something you can quickly dive in to get that yeah. pick-me-up again. Do you know what I mean? I love it. Yeah. I really no, I mean, they're they're um, the biggest – it's funny because the biggest, the biggest compliment people give me about the books is they're like, oh, I keep your books on the back of the toilet. Like, that's <laughs> – and yeah. I'm like, great. Because I know where, that's where people read. That's where people some, need something to read. You know? Yeah, the like, office. Yeah, yeah. But they're they're <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. I I I um I want the books to make you do things. Like they're not. I want the books to be great reading experiences, but I want you to then put them down and go make something. You know, yeah. and that's what they're supposed to do. Um, and I guess you get to hear a lot about that over the years it's what that you know like for glenn it inspired a whole mm. book yeah um so have you had you. like some real real <laughs> weird ones but like yeah i read your book and and yeah it's strange to have like i mean i have like i have friends who you know like i know authors who are like oh i was having a rough time and i read steel like an artist and then i came up with this one that's the novel i came up with you know or like it's weird to like like i'm a fan of um there's an actor named Jason Siegel who yeah. uh, who was in one of my who helped write one and starred in one of my favorite romantic comedies, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which I think is brilliant. It's just like one of my favorite movies, and he like he was he was like, oh yeah, I lo- love this book called Steal Like an Artist, you know. So that's just the kind of weird, brilliant. you know, you're just kind of you know you write this stuff down because it's helping you and you think it could help somebody else but you just don't expect that then you know like the people that you kind of look up to or the people that you are actually impressed by you know might read it and get something out of it so you know that's always the biggest kick always cool well we're obviously going to be going putting doing loads of promotion for it because the way that the other books have influenced us we're just going to push this one out as well Well, i appreciate that we'll we'll put it all in the the sort of show notes and what have you but austin before i'm we're conscious of time here one thing i want to do is bring just one segment that we regularly have in the podcast and we can keep this brief but i've just been interested to hear what your initial answer are to this we have a section that we call loves and loathes okay okay so when we look at what you do (laughs) and if i say to you what do you love about what you do what would your first thoughts be Oh, I just love having a conversation with the world, you know. I love like the back and forth of it. Like I'll I take things in and then I put them out and then see how the world responds. I just like the back and forth. You know, you read and then you write and then you read and just that back and forth. That's what I really love. Okay. So on the flip side of that, and it doesn't have to be a negative, but it is a loathe. So if you think about what you do day to day, whatever, the things that you maybe wish you could change, I don't know. What do you loathe? What would you change about what you do? I I hate I hate the um I hate the uncertainty of, of creative work, particularly in the States. Like I really wish that if we had 
there there are things politically that would make my this is something that particularly in the states I try to really emphasize like there are things that our country could do that would literally make my life better and would make my work better like if we had universal health care if we like for example that would make my life 100% better i would not have to worry about my family getting sick i would not have to worry about me getting sick the load that that would take off personally would would be huge but i think you know i loathe the same things that everyone loathes about their job i hate my boss He's an asshole. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I you know I don't like meetings. I don't like uh, you know I don't like uh, hustling please after don't, money. Please don't say podcast. I was going to no, say, I don't, I don't say mind podcasts. podcasts. It's you know <laughs> podcasts are fun, um, but uh, yeah, no, I I I don't like the uncertainty of of creative. I I don't like the the precar. It's very. I don't like the stress of trying to sustain a family on with with the work and, as and things I, are, yeah, yeah. And I and I always counsel people who are starting out or they're in the middle. I just say, you know, think really, really deeply about whether you want this to be your breadwinning. You know, because so many of us are brought to creative work because it keeps us alive. You know, yeah. it keeps us alive spiritually or mentally or whatever. And then when it literally becomes the thing that keeps you alive, um, it's just – it's like you almost have to find something else to keep you alive inside because it's, it's, di- it's difficult. It's, it's difficult when you turn your passion into your, to your work. I just – and I don't think anyone ever gets over it. I think people manage that throughout their career. And I'm always interested in how people handle that. Even famous people handle that. You know, like someone like George Clooney, like the actor George Clooney, you'll watch yeah. him. He'll do like a he'll do like a just stupid Hollywood blockbuster movie that he's just like, Yeah, give me some money. Yeah. And then he'll do like an indie movie. You know, he'll do like something artsy fartsy and quiet. And then he'll go back and forth and like I I always am interested in how people kind of navigate that making a living aspect of it. Yeah, when he's doing Ocean's Nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I even like those movies, so hey. I know. <laughs> okay, so um obviously we'll try and help you put that money in the bank and get those <laughs> get <that laughs> <Thanks>. medical care. <laughs> we'll promote the book. So the book's out on April the second. Yeah, on work and workmen. And I guess you'll be now going out on some kind of book press junket. Yeah, I'm doing a um I'm doing a big US tour. Um so I'm doing a big 25-city U.S. tour. Um, I don't know when I'll be in. I know I have a gig in Scotland coming up, which I'm excited okay. about. So I will be on that side of the pond soon. But I've always wanted to do a European tour. I just haven't really got it together. But maybe with this trilogy out now, mm, maybe yeah. there will be a reason to come over. Yeah, so. listen, the, the, the pound, the, the pound, the, the arse is falling out the pound at the moment. It's yeah. <laughs> We got Brexit. You've got you've right. got your problems. It's like right now is the best time to travel because the oh, pound yeah. is is like like one one twenty at the dollar. It's oh man, I didn't even. If you're think gonna about come, that. do it now. Yeah, yeah, do it now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sorry for y'all and happy for my travels. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, no, thank you for your time, Austin. Really appreciate. It. I know you got a busy day today, so um, 
yeah from me thanks for being a guest and, yes, and for the books because they've been mm. super helpful and i know hopefully a lot of our listeners who are photographers and on my side designers have either got it or will go out and buy all three of them <laughs> and, and and the creative still like an artist journal oh yeah <laughs> get, the whole, get get the trilogy plus the bonus content so right. um, yeah thank you very much and well, thank uh, you. also we'll promote the book and really appreciate your time tonight thanks Brilliant. a lot thank it you it was Austin. a pleasure for me thanks for having Cheers. me